a boss is talking to his secretary, and he says, I'm afraid I'm lo I've lost touch with, with the employees, Miss Jones. Do you think a personal letter from the heart would help? Miss Jones has been hearing things, and she looks pleased, and she says, I think that's a wonderful idea, sir. And the boss smiles, and he says, good, write something up for me, would you? We can identify insincerity in coworkers, in family members, perhaps even sometimes in ourselves. But Jesus we can trust. Jesus has the label, but if we opened him up as we were hearing during the children's message, we would see inside what we see outside. We may not like some of the things that Jesus says, but he is a person of integrity. We trust him to tell the truth as he sees it. And so here Jesus is speaking quite openly about his suffering and his rejection and his death. I don't like it. Peter didn't like it. I expect the other disciples didn't like it either. We prefer to hear what we want to hear and avoid or change what we don't. Peter tried to change what Jesus was saying, but Jesus would not be dissuaded. And while we don't like hearing Jesus predict the pain that's ahead for him, we also have a hard time embracing it when he then says it to us. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Reverend Elaine Simpson says, the words of Jesus always seem foolish to me. Why should I think about taking up the cross? Life does a really good job of placing crosses on my back and in my path. I do not need to seek them out. Taking up the cross means adding burdens to my already overwhelming life. Taking up the cross means having all my failures brought to light for others to see. Some of us have heard sermons through the years that have encouraged us to carry the additional burden that is the cross. Maybe carrying the cross was identified with illness or poverty or some other personal burden. Your response may have been much like Peter's. This burden will bring more pain, more suffering into my life or into the lives of those I love. And so like Peter, we often reject Jesus' request. We don't want to accept any more burdens, especially not the cross. And like the disciples, sometimes we choose to avoid this unpleasant subject. This burden symbolizes an extraordinary sacrifice. Taking up our cross means that we must make right all these errors and mistakes in our past. Taking up the burden of the cross means punishing ourselves, maybe? Making our lives more difficult, more depressing, more unpleasant? Is this what Jesus is saying? Simpson says no. 
She says, this is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not demanding that we add burdens to ourselves. In fact, when Jesus Jesus invites us to take up our cross, he's telling us to unburden ourselves. In Mark 6, Jesus says, take nothing with you. One way that I can take up my cross for Christ is to leave behind all my concerns for myself. I can stop focusing on tension on my mistakes, my failures, my desires, my wants. The cross directs my attention outside of myself. So when I take up that cross, I'm freed to carry the hope and love of Christ. This is one of Christ's gifts of the cross. When I give up carrying all my own grievances, the family members who disappoint me, the lack of money or recognition that I desire, I will be freed. Taking up the cross, Jesus teaches, means that we will seek to do what God wants us to do. We will seek to do the will of God. As we take up our crosses, we look at others, seeking, like Jesus, to understand the fears and the hardships in their lives. We experience God's will as the call to minister to those who have little, or to those who are oppressed by the social or political or religious structures of society. Taking up the cross gives me the strength to see that many others are truly powerless to free themselves from oppression and that I can offer them help. And we seek God's will. We see the child who needs a mentor. We see the aged who need love and companionship. We see the poor who need need a share of our wealth. A few of you will remember Dr. Glenn Henson, who spoke at my ordination service at Calvary years ago. Henson was one of my professors at seminary, and though retired, he continues to teach. In honor of his 50 years of teaching, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky inaugurated a lecture series in his honor and collected letters from his many fans. Tilden Edwards is head of something called the Shalame Institute for Spiritual Direction in D.C., and in his letter he wrote about a story that he felt like defined Glenn Henson. It sounded like they must have been commuting together because they would pass often by this house that was really run down. And Glenn had one time made a comment about how somebody should help those people. That house looks terrible. It it wouldn't take that much to help. And Edward said in his letter, then you realized you were called to help. And so one day, Glenn went up to the door, and he knocked, and he met the single mom who lived there. And he offered his time and energy to redo the exterior of his house. And Edward said, and you were in your 70s at the time. Now, that does define uh, Glenn Henson. Another person who honored him pointed out his, um, 
the way he combines contemplation and action. Elaine Simpson also notes that taking up the cross of Christ is an invitation to open up our lives. It's an invitation to redefine ourselves. Carrying the cross will lessen our tendencies to make life full of our own dramas. We see dramas with a four-year-old girl at home. Don't tell her I told you. Sydney says she's not going to be my friend anymore. But then a little while later, they're playing together again. And that's, that's the teeny tiny version, I think, of what some of us practice or try not to, but involve in our lives. The weight of the cross reminds us to fill up our lives with the needs of others. Taking up our cross means that our needs and our desires and our fears are no longer the primary motivator for all that we do. Our energies, our decisions, our causes will be motivated by the desire to remove fear from the faces of others. And this is where we find true profit in our lives. Not in our, mon- mon- <coughs> excuse me, our, our monetary accounts, or not in the beautiful fixtures that we can add to our home, not in the status of the people we know, but in the God we serve is our profit. Jesus said, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. What will it profit them to gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Forfeit their soul, we heard. In those verses, Jesus wonders for us, what if we have all this wonderful stuff? Will we be satisfied? What if we have this new person in our life? Will that satisfy us? Thomas Merton, the contemplative monk who was most active in the 1960s, used the phrase, contrived and artificial needs. I like that phrase. I I think that might be what um, advertisers offer to us or create for us. Contrived and artificial needs. Things they want us to think we need. And we expect then that we'll find satisfaction when we get those things, attain those things. But when we do that, we forfeit our very lives. When we free ourselves to letting God guide our actions, we find true profit and authentic life. I'll let the mystic St. John of the Cross conclude with this quote. What does it profit you to give God one thing if he asks of you another? Consider what it is God wants and then do it. You will, as a result, better satisfy your heart than with that toward which you yourself are inclined. Let's pray.
Hear our prayer, O God, that we might release to you those things that hold us back, those burdens which you invite us to give to you, those desires for things which really do not matter all that much, and help us to embrace life as you would have us embrace it, with fullness and with joy and with hope, opening ourselves to you and giving ourselves for you, as did Jesus our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.